Jesus says, follow me. Will you answer, I will go? It's about life and death than Jesus Christ. He asked hard questions like, why do you call me Lord and do not do the things that I say? Why would you call someone your master and then not listen to him? He then explains very clearly what it will be like to follow him. He says, if you follow me, some people will hate you. And not only that, if you follow me, some of your own family members might be against you. If you follow me, you may end up getting crucified like me. It can be hard for us to be as honest as Jesus. We try and talk people into following Jesus by saying things like, hey, if you follow Jesus, you can be forgiven and go to heaven. And that's true, but we neglect this other part. But Jesus was upfront with people. He said, there's a wide, easy road that most people take, but over here is a narrow road that leads to eternal life. Very few people will find it. And sometimes it is a hard path, a rocky path, a steep path. But then he says, I'm worth it. I'm so worth it. Some ask, why should I follow this Jesus? It is such a privilege and honor that we get to follow the Creator. But oh, the benefits are out of this world. Jesus said, when you follow me, I will give you peace and power, and I will walk with you. You will be blessed now, and you will be rewarded forever. Come, follow Christ. Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16 this morning. You can grab a Bible there in the bench in front of you or find it on a phone or device. Matthew chapter 16. In this passage, Jesus gives a great challenge to anyone who is thinking about becoming one of his followers. First, he gives the, the call to extreme sacrifice. He uses two words, deny yourself. Deny yourself means to deny that you have the ability to save yourself. It means to deny yourself the sinful things of the world that will draw you away from God. It means that you give Christ first place in your life. You deny yourself the right to get irritated and annoyed and upset at other people because Jesus Christ told you to love them. Americans, we know very little of extreme sacrifice, but we know a lot about pampering ourselves. We know a lot about demanding what we want. Then he gives his potential disciples a call to extreme commitment. We saw that last week. Take up your cross. Luke adds, take up your cross daily. When Jesus said the word cross, it brought to their minds a picture of a violent and horrible death. Jesus will soon take his death cross and here he calls his followers to do the same. Now we need to remember, we need to remember that every week in 2020, somewhere in the world, someone is literally dying for their faith. They are being beaten, shot, beheaded, or burned to death for their faith in Jesus Christ. All the while, many Christians in America are fussing over such menial matters as trivial as the 17th century debate 
over how many angels can stand on the head of a needle. And they did it while the Turks were actually attacking their city of Constantinople. So we need to wake up to the fact that we are in a spiritual war for the eternal souls of boys and girls and singles and teens and men and women. We just don't have time to fuss about the menial matters. Take up your cross as a choice to leave behind the good, leave behind the better, and we choose the best. Jesus is calling us to a devotion that may include dying for him. Take up your cross does not mean that you have problems. Someone said, well, my asthma is my cross. My back pain is my cross. No, no, that's just part of living in a sin-cursed world. Unbelievers have asthma. Unbelievers have back pain. Take up your cross means you, you align yourself. You connect. You connect yourself with Christ. And that means when you suffer, you're willing to suffer for him. Now, would you please stand with me as I read this passage one more time. Matthew chapter 16, we begin in verse 24. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of the Father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. May we pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you for this call of Jesus to all of us today to follow him, to be his disciple, to love him. I pray if there is one today that they're not certain that heaven is their home, may this be the day they are born again into the family of God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you thought about the kind of people that Jesus called to follow him in the first century? What kind of people were they? Who were those 12 men that he chose? Well, 11 were from Galilee. There were some fishermen, farmers. There was even a tax collector. I mean, they were ordinary. They were uneducated by the standards of the elite of that society. And so it is today. Every day, Jesus, he, he's calling ordinary, broken, and messed up people to follow him. And Jesus, he repeats this call many times. Matthew 10, Mark 8, Luke 9, Luke 14. Look with me at verse 14. I'm sorry, verse 24. If any man will come after me, you have to make up your mind. You have to resolve that this is the choice for your life. It is a deliberate decision, a deliberate choice. It has to be your choice, not your parents, not your grandparents, uh, not your kids, not your spouse, not your siblings, not your friend's choice. It is your personal choice to be his follower. It is a call 
to extreme sacrifice, deny yourself, extreme commitment, take up your cross. And now one more. It is a call to extreme love. Extreme love. What is extreme love? A call to love Jesus more than what? More than anything. Love Jesus more than anything, including the world. Look with me in your notes. 1 John 2, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, here's the definition, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, it is not of the Father, but it is of the world. Look with me on page 2. This is not the physical world and the beauty of creation. This refers to the worldly system that replaces God with anything. So anything that replaces God in your life. Sports. I think tonight there's going to be a lot of idol worshipers <laughs> over sports, right? Sports. Academics. Fine arts. Sins of, the lu of lust, of hate, of envy, of greed, of violence, and on and on. To love Jesus more than the world, to love Jesus more than fame and fortune. The rich young ruler of Mark chapter 10, he asked the right question to the right person. You just saw him in the video, come to Jesus. And this is the question he asked, good master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He didn't like the answer that Jesus gave. Do you remember? Jesus said, he said, follow me. He said, love me more than your things. Love me more than your trinkets. Love me more than your toys. Love me more than your chariot. Love me more than your houses. Love me more than your vacations. Love me more than your stuff. Jesus said, sell all you have and give it to the poor and you will have what? Treasure in heaven. Now, he didn't say, give all of your stuff to the poor and earn a ticket to heaven. That's not what he said. That's a misunderstanding. That would make no sense. Here's why. And so I thought, by way of illustration, if I just, if I took everything that I owned and I sold it and I stuck it all in here, okay, and I, I this is all my money, okay, <laughs> I'm going to do what Jesus said. This is the misinterpretation. I'm going to buy my ticket to heaven. So I'm going to take everything I have. I sold it. I put all the money here. And I'm going to give it away because I want to go to heaven. So I'm going to give it to Joe. Look at that. Joe's going to take that. Gladly he takes it. And uh, yay, I get to go to heaven. I, I, I sold everything. I, I, I gave it away. But what, what about Joe? Well, now Joe can't go to heaven. So Joe, he says, I want to go to heaven too. So he's going to give it to Larry. He's going to give it to Larry. Hey, now Joe and I are going to go to heaven. Woohoo! Yep, we're going to go to heaven. Hey, that's great. We sold it all. We gave it away. Larry, you want to go to heaven? He wants to go to heaven, so he's got to give it away. So he's going to give it to Brian. He's going to give it to Brian. All right, so woohoo! <laughs> now we're going to heaven. And Brian, Brian's going to keep it. <laughs> <laughs> Brian, you don't get to go to heaven if you keep it. Uh, that is a misinterpretation of what the Bible says. You can check all the commentaries. All the commentaries all agree you can't buy a ticket to heaven by giving your money to the poor. 
by giving your money to missions, by giving your money to charities. It, it, it doesn't help you get to heaven because heaven is a gift. Salvation is a gift given by faith. Look with me there in your notes, Romans 5.1. Therefore being justified, forgiven, we are justified by faith. We have what? We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the way to get to heaven, to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior by faith. Believe that he died, believe that he rose again, and you receive this gift of heaven. But you, and so what Jesus told this young man, he said, you've got to love me more than your stuff. And the evidence of that is to be able to, to, to sell your stuff. And if he did that as a new Christian, a just God would give that man treasure in heaven. Now, if you do good deeds, like giving things away, you get treasure in heaven. But that does not buy the ticket to heaven. Does that make sense? All right, so now you have to wonder, did anyone ever do that? Did anyone ever take everything that they had and, and, and sell it and give it away? Uh, let me preach, okay? <laughs> Did anyone ever do that? Charles was born into an extremely wealthy family in England. His father was invited to a revival meeting where an American evangelist named D.L. Moody was preaching. And that night... Edward, the father, trusted Christ as his Savior. Uh, Charles and his two brothers were off at college having the time of their life. They not only excelled at the game of cricket, but they dominated the Cambridge cricket scene in the early 1880s. They played professionally and represented England, winning the world championships. Their father invited an evangelist to stay with them for the summer holidays, and all three brothers trusted Christ as our Savior. Charles is the center one in the picture. Later, Charles would write about the moment he chose to follow Jesus, and this is what he wrote. I got down on my knees, and I did say thank you to God. And right then and there, the joy and peace came into my soul. I knew that I was to be born again, and the Bible, which had been so dry to me before, became everything. Now look with me at verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? When his brother became very sick and almost died, Charles was confronted by the question, what is all the fame and flattery worth when a man comes to face eternity? He'd been saved for about six years. And he had been in an unhappy, backslidden state. He said, I know cricket will not last. Anybody ever here play cricket? Would you raise your hand? Yep. A couple of you. Uh, I know cricket will not last. I know honor will not last. Nothing in this world will last. But it is worthwhile living for the world to come. When Charles' father died, he received his inheritance he received a massive inheritance. What would he do with all that money? What would you do with all that money? Well, we know Brian would keep it, right? <laughs> well, C.T. Studd, gifted athlete and pioneering missionary. He had fame, he had wealth, and he gave it all away. 
C.T. Studd gave his entire inheritance away. He gave 5,000 pounds to the Moody Bible Institute. He gave 5,000 pounds to George Mueller to help build orphanages. He gave 5,000 pounds to Mr. Holland to evangelize the poor in England. He gave 5,000 pounds to the Salvation Army to reach people in India. He organized the Cambridge Seven. Seven university students surrendered to serve with Hudson Taylor. Before they left for China, these seven men toured campuses in England and Scotland, and they challenged others to do the same. And over the next decade, more than 600 young people joined them to be missionaries. And that represented about one-third of all the Christian missionaries of that time. I want you to see that when they got to China, they spent some years there. You know what they did? They, they loved the Chinese. And so they wanted to connect with their culture. And so they learned their language. They learned their customs. They learned their dress to be able to connect with them. They did that to blend in. Jesus Christ left heaven to be able to become part of the human culture to be part of our human race to save us. Now, if the culture, if the culture contradicts uh, the commands of Scripture, then you, you don't follow it. But they did this to be able to show that they love these people. This is what he said. Someone to live within the sound of church or chapel bell. I want to run a rescue shop within a yard of hell. From there, he served in India for six years. Then he started a mission board and spent the rest of his life serving in Africa in the Republic of Congo. When his wife died, he didn't quit. He continued to serve in Africa, and his son and daughter-in-law, uh, they joined him in their little baby. This is what he wrote. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. He literally did what Jesus asked of that rich young ruler. When Pentecostal songwriter Lanny Wolf read those words in 1973, he sat down and he wrote a beautiful song that has impacted millions of people for the last 45 years. At college, at college, I was touched by this song time and time again. It, it seemed that they sung it every semester, either at church or college. How many of you know the song, Only One Life? Would you raise your hand? Okay, lots of you. It matters so little how much you may own, the places you've been or the people you've known. For it all comes to nothing when placed at his feet. It is nothing to Jesus, just memories to keep. You may take all the treasures from faraway lands, take all the riches you can hold in your hands, and take all the pleasures that your money can buy, but what will you have when it's your time to die? Only one life, so soon it will pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. Only one chance to do his will. So give to Jesus all your days. It's the only life that pays when you recall you have but one life. 
We are to love Jesus more than the world, more than fame and fortune. And then he goes on, we are to love Jesus more than family. Look with me at the top of page three. This is what Jesus said to his disciples. Luke chapter 14, verse 26. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now I want, I want you to know this is the second time Jesus taught this unthinkable truth about following him and hating our family. What in the world does he mean? Hate your father, hate your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Well, when we put this phrase in the context, we discover that Jesus is teaching us that if you want to be his disciple, if you're going to follow him, that you must be willing to give up everything for Jesus, even if our family members do not follow him. What does this mean? To hate our family when in other passages Jesus taught us himself to honor our parents. Other passages of the, of the New Testament were told with the word love your family. What does this mean? In the box in your notes. It is hatred by comparison. It is hatred by comparison, not absolute hatred. If and when we are faced with the painful choice of loyalty to family versus loyalty to Jesus, we must choose Jesus. Even if our family members disown us for being Christians, we must follow Christ. It is in this sense we are hating, again, by comparison. We're hating our family. Jesus' command to hate father and mother requires us to prioritize our relationship with Jesus over our relationship with our parents, siblings, and other family members. Do you know that many, many in our church chose to serve Jesus Christ over their family, and it is a painful experience. We could have dozens right now stand up and tell their experience when they chose Jesus Christ and how their parents, their family, their siblings said, no, you shouldn't do that. I don't want you to do that. We support 200 missionary families who have left their country. They have left their families to reach people around the world. They are literally doing what Joel just sang. I will go. And they left family and home and country and friends and freedom and safety to reach other people. We have a living illustration in our church midst today. He said I could share his story and give you his update. Four years ago, Rick Chan, uh, Will Chan's brother, was going through a dark season in his life. Will and Tammy invited Rick to come from Scotland to spend some time with them. Rick, if you just raise your hand so people can kind of put a 
Name and a face together. Thank you. Uh, they immediately brought him to the church. I shared the love of Christ with Rick. And in his despondency, he was willing uh, to look into the Scriptures for the first time. He didn't have a Bible, but we got him a Bible. And during the next two weeks, Will, his brother, Tammy, his sister-in-law, and uh, Brother Frank Robinson, they shared the Word of God with Rick. He told me yesterday that during those two weeks, he came to church. He said, I came to church at Valley Forge Baptist, and I saw all these people with, with smiles on their faces and with joy in their hearts, and I knew they had the same struggles like me. I was envious because I didn't have what they had, but I wanted it. Rick came back to my office, and there he trusted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. He was baptized, and he, he joined the church, though just for a short while, because then he, he went back to Scotland, and he, he, he got involved in a church there. He's being mentored. He's being discipled. He's growing. He's sharing his faith. And for four years, these last four years, Rick has been growing in his faith, and he has surrendered his life to serve the Lord as a missionary. Oh, I'm sorry, you must be daydreaming. I said, I said, Rick Chan got saved four years ago. And he went home and he started growing in his faith. I said, he surrendered his life to be a missionary. I, I still don't think some of you heard what I said. Let me kind of recap the story. Rick came here four years ago because he was at the lowest place in his life and his brother and sister-in-law loved him so much. And he came and he heard the word of God and he got saved and he got baptized and he went back to Scotland and he began growing in his faith. And the update I'm giving to you right now is Rick. Rick, Rick has surrendered his life to become a missionary. Yeah. Woohoo! And I want you to know that's bigger news than what's happening tonight in the Super Bowl. Amen. And if you have more emotion tonight over the Super Bowl than you just had at my update about Rick, you need heart surgery. <laughs> Something's wrong in here. But you're hearing the Word of God, and you can, you can connect with what God is doing. This is exciting news. Amen. You know, in a couple years, a couple years, you won't even remember the score of the Super Bowl. You won't remember who won. I'm not even quite sure who's playing tonight. But I'm going to eat. We're going to have fun partying. And so Rick went back and he began sharing his faith with his parents. But they have not yet trusted Christ. And when he gave the news that he was going to leave them and move away to go to seminary for a year and then move away to serve the Lord, you know, his mother objected. And Rick Chan loves his mother, loves his father deeply. He honors them. But his love for Jesus Christ is a greater priority in his life than his love for his earthly family. Rick went with me on Friday to visit Butch and Joyce Clemens just home from the hospital. I told Rick that he can count on Valley Forge Baptist for missionary support when he goes to the mission field. Amen? You're temporarily voted in, Rick. Like C.T. Studd, Rick says, I want to spend my life sharing Jesus Christ with others. 
He said, this is my passion. And so loving Jesus means, means loving Jesus more than the world, loving Jesus more than fame and, and fortune, loving Jesus more than family. And so the question is, how? How do I love Jesus with an extreme love? Have you ever had thoughts like this? You know, it's really hard to love God. If I love God the way he wants me to, then I, I can't have any fun. If I love God too much, then he'll want me to move and be a missionary like Rick, and I don't want that to happen. I love God, but if I'm honest, I can go a whole day and not even think about him. I can go a whole week and not even think about him. So how? How do I love Jesus with an extreme love? He said, follow me. Keep your focus on me. Well, I, I wish I were an expert, but I'm not. I'm a student like you, and we're going to learn together how to be able to grow in our love for him more each day. Here we go. Here we go. You've got to meet God. You've got to meet God. There's a huge difference in knowing about God and knowing God in a personal way. We call that profession versus possession. Profession is someone who says, I'm a Christian. Possession is someone who has Christ in their heart. Uh, Jesus talked about that when he asked, Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? We're going to have a baptism Sunday on March the 1st. And I invite anyone who is saved, who is a child of God, who's never been biblically baptized after their salvation. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? If you have been saved and you've never been baptized, what you need to do is you meet with the pastor, give your testimony of salvation. Uh, Acts 2.41, they receive the word, they're baptized, they're added to the church, and you can do that. You can get baptized. He said, well, I'm a Christian, but I don't know that I really want to get baptized. Well, Jesus has a question for you today. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? You see, if you're truly born again and you want to love Jesus, then you want to obey him. The tragedy of your life is to come to this church, even one time, hear the good news that God loves you, Jesus died for you, you can go to heaven. The tragedy would be for you to ignore Jesus and walk out those doors and die and be judged for your sins. If you want to learn to love Jesus, you've got to meet God. You've got to meet God. Secondly, uh, letter B, you've got to learn what God is like. Do you know what God is like? Do you know what God is like? This is extremely important. Please look up here, then we'll look at the notes. A lot of people say that whatever you believe about God is fine, so long as you are sincere. Is the character of God defined by our sincerity? as to what we imagine he is like? Well, that would be like me telling someone that I have a cousin in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania named Les, and he is a 300-pound sumo wrestler. There's my cousin Les. And then telling someone else that I have a cousin in Elizabethtown, Pennsylvania named Les, who is a 90-pound soccer player. That's my cousin Les. We say, Pastor, they both can't be your cousin Les. Which one is it? 
Some people say to me, well, this is, this is what I think God is like. And someone else says, no, 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 no. This is what I think God is like. And because I'm sincere, my imagination will somehow mold God into what I want him to be like. Ah, as long as you're sincere. No, 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 no. Do you know who tells us what God is like? God tells us. And if you want to know what God is like, you go to the Bible, you go to the Word of God. And if you believe something different, then, then you're, you're in twilight zone. I do have a cousin in Elizabethtown named Les. And that's not him, and that's not him. <laughs> and you might have this imagination about God, but if it doesn't match what you find here, that's not him. So let's look in the Word of God. God is holy. God is love. God is merciful. God is trinity. He is a personal being. He is eternal. Think about that one for a while. God is good. God is just. God is sovereign. That means he is, he is Lord. Read Isaiah 6. Read Revelation 4. If you want to see how God describes himself, you will hear the echo of the worshiping angels called seraphim crying out in the throne room of God, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. To the Jews, saying something three times demonstrated perfection. Holy, holy, holy is to say he is perfectly holy. It means to be set apart. He is set apart from sin. So how do I love Jesus with an extreme love? You got to meet God. You have to learn what God is like. And then you, this is helpful. Remember what God has done. You can spend the rest of your life in awe and wonder thinking about what God has done. What has he done? He created the world. How'd you like that in your resume? He created the world. He sent his son to purchase your soul and give you the gift of heaven. He upholds the universe moment by moment. Every day he lets you live another day as a gift. Awesome. Awesome is not a big enough word to describe what God does. Here's one. Don't love him for his gifts. Love him. Let me ask you an extremely convicting question. Do you love God, or do you just love his stuff that he gives you? Imagine how awful it would feel to have your child say, well, I, I, I really don't love you, Mom. I don't love you, Dad. I don't want your love, but I, I sure want my allowance this week. I want my allowance. But think of the opposite, how beautiful it is to have one of your children look you in the eye and say, I love you, not because of your money, not because of the car you gave me, not because of the house. I love you just because I love you. Can, can you say that today? Oh, God, I love you. I love you, God, not because you gave me all these wonderful gifts of life and family and health and home and freedom and safety and security. They're all great, but, but if you allowed them all to be taken away, if I lost them all, I would still love you with all of my heart. Would, would you still love God if you lost it all? Or would you be one of those who said, why, 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 why? You know, Job did. He said, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be what? The name of the Lord, Job 121. When I became a dad for the first time, I, I got a taste of what I believe 
God feels towards us. I think about my kids, three sons, two daughters, four grandkids. My first thought is they're all going to live somewhere forever. Oh, how I want them all to know Jesus as their Savior, to be saved and go to heaven. They might do a lot of things in life. They might excel and accomplish things. But look at verse 26. What shall a man profit if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Jesus said if they gain accolades, if they gain money, if they gain fame, and they die and go to hell. Jesus said, it's nothing. Nothing compares to following me to heaven. So how do I love Jesus with an extreme love? You got to meet him, learn what he's like, remember what he has done, and just love him one more, one more. Spend time with him in prayer, in the word, in church. Do you want to hear God speak to you? Do you want to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit promptings in your life? One author said, if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak audibly, read your Bible out loud. <laughs> it's good. After writing my wife Jody back when, back in 1995, I finally met her the day after Christmas. When I came back to Pennsylvania, I just missed her so much. I called her every night. We talked for an hour, and then we talked for two, and then we talked for three hours. And I, I, why? I was in love. My, my love was growing every day, and I wanted to spend time with her, and she's in another country. And, and, and if you love Jesus, you're going to want to talk to him. You're going to want to spend time with him. When you love someone, you want to be with them. When you get married, you are exclusive to them. Well, at that time... We were then engaged. We're in the middle of building this building. It was just a shell. And the designer, the church designer, insisted that I fly down and tour Adrian Rogers' church in Tennessee. And so the church designer paid for me to hop on a plane, a ticket to fly down and fly back the same day to take pictures and share with our staff here. Uh, so I flew down. I took the pictures. I got a tour of the foyer offices, Pastor Rogers' office, um, this is the front of the building. It's a massive building, Bellevue Baptist Church. Do you see the cross with the rays going to the continents? And when I saw that, I said, that, that's us. That, that's the heartbeat of Christ. The message of Jesus shines to the world. That's, that's the heartbeat of Jesus. That's a mission heartbeat. That's the mission of Valley Forge Baptist. That's who we are. And I got the inspiration for the front of our auditorium that you see every Sunday right here with the cross and the rays going to the continents. That was a little bit too abstract for me. This made it a little bit more clear uh, here for us to be able to see. When I was there, uh, I called Jody. And uh, we had just been engaged and, and they were having a conference. There were 3,000 women in that building and me. I'm, I'm talking to Jody, and there's these thousands of women, but do you know, my heart was with the one that I loved in Canada. One more thing about God, he says, he says, I love you, and he says, I am a jealous God. I want you to be exclusive to me. That's the fill-in. I want you to be exclusive to me. I want you to follow me. That's extreme love. Do you love Jesus? Do you really love him? Then you tell him and you show him. 
If you love me, he said, keep my commandments. Now, I just want to be real honest with you today. If you are saved, if you're born again, and you've never been baptized, and I were you, I would like, after hearing Pastor Wendell's message, I want to get baptized. Why would you do it? Well, I need to think about it. No, no, if you love me, if you love me, keep my commandments. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for these words of Jesus, his call to extreme love because we know that he had an extreme love for us. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed, you'd say today, yes, pastor, I, I do love Jesus. I am saved there was a time in my life that I made a commitment to become a follower of Christ. I'm not talking about a shallow commitment, you know, believe Jesus and then live how you want. I'm talking about you received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and he has given you the peace in your heart that you know that heaven is your home. If you have that assurance, would you simply raise your hand? You're not ashamed to be called a Christian all over this auditorium. Thank you. God bless you. You may put your hands down. You're here today. You say, Pastor, I, I think I'd go to heaven. I, I hope I'd go to heaven, but I'm not sure I have doubt. But the Spirit of God is tapping on my heart. I want to be saved today. I want to receive Christ today. I'm not asking you now to get baptized. I'm not asking you to join the church. I'm asking you to have a living relationship with Christ, to make a decision to follow him and to believe that he died and rose again for you. Anyone at all, just simply raise your hand, hold it up high. I want to be saved. I want to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Anyone at all, I want to trust Christ as my Savior today. I've never done that. Now, Christian, may I ask you, Do you love Jesus? Is your love growing? Would you join me and say, Pastor, I, I want my love for Jesus to grow more and more. But I'll tell you right now, we need God's help. We need to ask God to show us how to love him more. And if you pray that prayer, God will reveal to you through his word, through the promptings of the Spirit of God, through faithful Christians, and your love will begin to grow. And I can tell you it's a wonderful thing for your love for Jesus to grow day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, decade by decade to love him more. Father, bless in this invitation. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. May we stand together. We're going to sing a song of invitation. How appropriate. My Jesus, I love thee. Thank you for choosing this. Let's sing it from our hearts and show the love to our Savior. Answers, please open your Bibles tonight to Revelation chapter 7. We've had multiple questions on Bible prophecy, so we're kind of grouping uh, several of them together tonight. Revelation chapter 7, and we'll, uh, we'll just go ahead and take them as they came to me and pass them on to you, and, and we'll, we'll dig and, and understand God's Word. You know, the Bible says in Peter that, that we are to study, to grow in, 
in grace and knowledge, but we grow in knowledge so that we can give an answer to every man that asks uh, the reason of the hope that we have in our heart. And so that's why we want to dig in and be able to answer different questions so we can then take opportunities to talk to people about Jesus Christ and get them uh, to the gospel. And using news and current events is a great way to be able to do that. And so Revelation chapter 7, would you please stand with me if you're able to? Revelation chapter 7, we're in the time of the period called the tribulation. Revelation 7, we'll pick it up in verse in verse 2. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not, hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, now we're going to get a list of twelve tribes, twelve thousand from each tribe. Verse 5, of the tribe of, tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. The tribe of Reuben were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Gad, sealed 12,000. The tribe of Asher were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Naphtali were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manasseh were sealed 12,000. The tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. The tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zebulun were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin uh, were sealed 12,000. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude which no man could number, of all nations and kindreds and people and tongues, stood before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with the white robes and palms in their hands, and cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, which sitteth upon the throne, and unto the Lamb. May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you have given us your word. You have not given... Uh, all the truth of all the universe, but you have given us the truth of the Word of God. And what you have given to us, we are to believe and we are to obey. So, Father, tonight I ask that we will grow in grace and knowledge and not become puffed up by knowledge, but in humility, want to be able to share the gospel with others, engage people uh, with current events. Bible prophecy, but most of all, their soul and their need to be forgiven. So, Father, help us now as we uh, seek to be able to help others, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Why is the tribe of Dan omitted in Revelation 7? I'm sure as I read that to you tonight, that was the first question that popped into your mind, right? <laughs> Did you even notice that the tribe of Dan was omitted in this list. You know, sometimes you kind of get into a mode and, and, and you just kind of read and, and your mind checks out. Well, someone, their mind didn't check out. Someone was reading uh, with scrutiny and trying to figure out what's going on here. Dan is missing. Question is why? Well, there are 12 tribes of Israel that are descendants of the 12 sons of Jacob. God changed Jacob's name to what? Israel. 
to Israel. And he had 12 sons and one daughter. And his son Joseph, and we're going to have a whole series on Joseph coming up this year in the morning, and you are going to learn and grow so much from that as I already am. Joseph had two sons. Do you know the sons' names of Joseph? They are Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh and Ephraim, they were born in Egypt. Uh, now Reuben, the oldest son, the firstborn, he lost the place of the double portion uh, that is normally given to the Jewish firstborn, and he lost that place of prominence because, because of sin. And so what happened is, is Jacob, also called Israel, uh, he basically adopted his two grandsons and gave them the status of the sons in the inheritance. So if you take out Joseph's name, then you put in his two sons' name, Manasseh and Ephraim, that basically gives you 13, uh, 13 tribes uh, for the uh, inheritance. Uh, for instance, uh, you're going to find the priestly tribe of Levi receives cities for an inheritance and not land. So again, the land's divided into 12 tribes. Levi comes out. Joseph comes out and is replaced with his two sons, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim. There are at least 19 lists of Jacob's sons given in the Old Testament. And so sometimes a, a tribe is left out. We have to go study and figure out why. Like in the case of dividing the land, uh, Levi, uh, his inheritance is the Lord himself. So here in Revelation 7, we find ourselves in the what we would call the future seven-year period of the tribulation. Uh, the tribulation occurs between the rapture, there's the church age and the rapture, tribulation period, and the 1,000-year reign of Christ. Uh, this period is identified in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 to 27. It is the 70th week of Israel. Daniel's 70 weeks. Each week is a seven-year period. 69 weeks uh, went from the commandment to restore and rebuild the temple until the presentation of Messiah Jesus uh, right there on Passion Week. And then there's a, a pause button on the prophetic clock. And we're in the parenthesis, the church age. 70th week will be the tribulation period yet to come. So look with me now at verses uh, 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 that's also described, this tribulation identified in Daniel 9, described in Revelation 6 to 19, chapter 6 to 19. Look with me now at verses 3 and 4. Chapter 7, verse 3. So this angel is, is sent to bring a judgment and to hurt the earth and the sea, but then the word from God is, do not hurt the earth and the sea nor the trees until something happens, until we seal the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and the number is 144,000 of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And so, a seal, what is this? A seal in their forehead. A seal often refers to a, a signet ring that leaders would wear, kings or rulers or even uh, fathers. And so the, the ring would be taken off. If you had a letter, uh, that, that letter would be, uh, uh, would be uh, folded, and then what they would do is they would pour hot wax and then, so you have this wax that is sealing the letter, and they would take the signet ring, and then they would push it upon it. 
And so the individual personal uh, signet would be upon that document. And that document meant authenticity. That document meant ownership. That document uh, the authority of that particular leader. So remember when Jesus was placed in the tomb and they put a rock in front of it, they did something else. They, they sealed it. So that case, it wasn't a letter. That case, it was a cord or a rope that stretched across the, the, the stone that covered the doorway to Jesus' tomb. And so there would, would have been a seal, a seal on each side. And it was the seal of the Roman government. I wonder if it was Pilate's ring. I wonder if it was the centurion's ring. But there was the seal into that wax. And so anybody could come up and grab that string or rope or cord and just pull it off because it's only wax holding it on. Oh, but you wouldn't do that. Because that signet, that seal, represented the power and the authority and the might of the Roman government. In addition to that, you had uh, a guard, four guards guarding that tomb. But you know what happened on Easter morning? And Easter morning just took one angel. One angel descended from heaven, broke the seal, rolled the stone away, and the, and the Bible says the guards shook until they passed out. And when they woke up, they ran away. It just shows us that God's power is greater than any, any human earthly power. And so here is a seal of God, and God's seal is on the forehead of 144,000 Jewish men. Now, we do not know if the seal is visible or not, but we know what the seal is. The seal is the name of God. And so they are sealed. They are protected. Uh, judgments cannot come upon them, and they're going to be preaching for the next seven years. So God saves them. One of our prophecy films that we showed, I remember clearly what it was. It was December 31st, 1999. We had a nice long service. We had a prophecy film. Uh, Vicki Myers got saved that night. Uh, but in that prophecy film, as they're trying to portray the rapture, there's a Jewish man in a synagogue, and, and he, is, he is meditating. He is praying over the Jewish scriptures. And then all of a sudden, it goes like this. And he gets saved. He figured out that all of this word about the Messiah was Jesus, and he gets saved. And that's going to happen 144,000 times. Now, we have Jewish descendants here in our church. Now, one of those Jewish descendants can identify which tribe they were from. But God knows. And they kept such good records all the way until the time of the first century so that we could clearly identify that Jesus Christ is of the tribe of Judah two ways, through Mary and through Joseph, so he qualifies to be the Messiah. No one could claim that today. No one could understand that today. But God knows who they will be. Back to the question, why is Dan missing from the list? Well, it's not just Dan, but Ephraim as well. Uh, Joseph appears in the list and again, many times not normally because his two sons took his place. So Joseph appears in the list, his oldest son Manasseh. In the book of Judges, Dan and Ephraim fall into an abomination of sins, abominable sins and apostasy. Revelation 7 has left them out on purpose at this time in history in the future as a punishment because of their utter sinfulness all the way back 3,000 years ago. 
The 144,000 are 12,000 chosen out of every tribe to be used as evangelists. Look at the incredible revival that happens in verse 9. Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. After this I beheld, and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number, of all nations, kindreds, people, tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, palms in their hands. So what's going to happen? They're going to get saved. They're going to be able to go to heaven because you have 144,000 missionaries. How many missionaries do we have today? Well, you counted up the independent Baptist missionaries, you might have 2,500. If you add all the evangelical missionaries, you might be pushing 10 to 15,000. If you had soup to nuts, I mean, you went, and, and, and they're really not missionaries, but they might know Jesus, maybe you'd be pushing 15 to 20,000. There's 144,000 missionaries circling the globe, preaching the gospel, and nobody can stop them because they have the seal of God. This is the mo one of the most incredible revivals. It is the most incredible revival that will ever appear in human history. Now, the tribulation is one of the most awful apostate and evil times with 21 awful and horrific judgments, but there's this great time of revival. People from all nations, tongues, tribes, from every people group. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said the gospel will be preached in the world to all nations, and then the end will come. Look over a page to chapter 9, verse 1. Chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and that would be an angel. And to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose a smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. There came out of the smoke locusts upon the earth, and unto them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass or the earth, neither any green thing, neither any tree, but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. And to them it was given that they should not kill the men, uh, or women, but that they should be tormented five months, and their torment was as the torment of a scorpion when he striketh a man. And in those days shall men seek death, and shall not find it, and shall desire to die, and death shall flee from them. If you are not saved, and you think it'd be kind of exciting like some of those movies to go through the tribulation time, this is enough to convince you to get saved. For five months, there is torment from demons. Demons that are currently locked in the abyss will be released, and they'll be able to torment people. The torment is so bad, the torture is so bad, that people say, oh, I wish I could die, I wish I could die. But they can't. But I want you to notice is they cannot hurt the 144,000. They cannot hurt the converts of the 144,000 Jewish and Gentile converts. What a time it's going to be. So back to the question. So Joseph replaces Dan. Most scholars believe that the 12,000 uh, from Joseph would include men from Ephraim, which would be one of his sons, and some Danites as well. And so Dan and Ephraim are not named, but clearly it has to be some from them because you've got 
Joseph has two sons. Ephraim is named, 12,000 there, so it would have to be from uh, Manasseh's name, so Ephraim and Danites uh, would make up under the category of Joseph. Now, Dan is brought back into the ultimate blessing of the nation of Israel, but they are excluded from service at this moment. During the millennial kingdom, the, the tribe of Dan will be allotted a territory. We find that in Ezekiel 48.1. Joseph will receive a double portion. That's his sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. They'll receive their own territories, chapter 48, verse 4 and 5. God is merciful. God will not break his everlasting promise. He can bring chastisement. He can bring judgment. But he'll not break his promise. And ultimately, the land will be given to all the tribes of Israel, just as he promised. This teaching refutes the false teaching of replacement theology that the church replaces Israel, that the church replaces the Jews. If you were not here last Sunday night, if you want to go to, to the archive message, it'll help explain how we are not replacing the Jewish people. God has a plan for the Jewish people. The, the, the groups that believe that, it's called Reformed Theology. It's wrong. If you see Reformed Theology on a church door, run. They deny God's basic promises to Israel. Now, most Protestants and all Catholic churches follow Reformed eschatology, and that means teachings of the last days. So, God's got a plan for Dan, just not in the tribulation. Next question. Are any events today prophetic? Are they part of the tribulation? What about the news of Iran? And the answer is yes, no, wow. Okay? <laughs> yes, no, wow. Uh, so we have a handout. I believe there's still some out there about are any events today prophetic? Yes, absolutely. Get the handout. You'll see things like this on it. You'll see things about the, United, uh, the European Union, uh, the United Nations, uh, the rebirth of Israel. Jews returning to the land, the international satellite television video, the technology of the mark of the beast. It wasn't big news here, but it was big news in Europe on Friday. Do you know what happened in Europe on Friday? Brexit. Do you know what Brexit is? It is Britain exiting the EU. The European Union. That was big news. EU. What does EU? EU stands for the European Union. Is that a part of Bible prophecy? Absolutely. Absolutely. You see in Daniel chapter 2, the king Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, couldn't interpret the dream, brings it to Daniel. Daniel interprets the dream. It's a vision of a statue. Statue has uh, four different parts of, of metals, and it's a timeline. It's a timeline of world domination over the Jewish people, and the head of gold is, is, is that of, of uh, uh, Babylon, and, and you go all the way down through, you've got Medo-Persia, you've got Greece, you've got the Roman Empire, the two parts of the leg, but then you have the ten toes, and then you have a, a stone cut out without hands from heaven, and it smashes and sets up this worldwide kingdom. Well, the, the ten toes in this Bible prophecy is the revived Roman Empire that our world calls the European Union. Right now, there are more nations than ten in the European Union, so we know the number's going to go down. 
Bible prophecy just happened on Friday. Bible prophecy just happened on Friday. Uh, the number is, is being reduced down. The European Union, they have their own court. They have their own currency. We call it the euro. They have their own military. They have their own passport uh, system. Uh, May 15, 1948, Israel declared their independence. The United States recognized this is now a nation again. This is after being, being destroyed in 70 AD as predicted by the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Matthew. In our teenager's lifetime, we, have, we now have more Jews in Israel than anywhere else in the world. Look at this. Look at this. And, and so this is, this is Bible prophecy. People say, I don't believe the Bible. Give them one word. Israel. I don't believe the Bible. The, the answer is Israel. And so where have you been? Don't you, don't you listen to the news? Don't you know what's happening in the world? Israel is proof and evidence that the Bible is true. And there are the statistics to show us. God said in the last days the Jews will return to the land. And that is Bible prophecy. International satellite television. The two witnesses. There are two Witnesses, in addition to the 144,000, these two are given special divine powers. They preach in Jerusalem. Let's turn over another page to Revelation chapter 11. Revelation 11. They preach and they show divine power. They call out sin. They're there, they're there on the Temple Mount. Revelation chapter 11, verse 7. When they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascended out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them. And so you've got a satanic power in a man that we identify as Antichrist that the world will call the leader of the European Union, the leader of the world. He'll make war against them and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of that great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt. So it says it's spiritual, spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. But look at the identification. Where are also our Lord was crucified? What city is that? Jerusalem. So let the Bible interpret the Bible. So this is the city of Jerusalem where they are preaching. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in graves. And they that dwell upon the earth... Well, let's stop. So what, what, happened is, what happened is people from all over the world see the, the two prophets of God that have the power of Moses and Elijah, they're dead and they don't bury them. They, they let them stay there and people from all over the world get to see them. Do you, do you understand that in all of human history, when bad things would happen, it would take weeks or months for the news to travel. If there was a, an earthquake or a plague in Europe, and then finally the news got to a, a ship and it would come across, it could take a few weeks and it would get here and land in New York, Philadelphia, or Boston, and then they get that news and... It would, it would take weeks, months, sometimes years for news to travel. And this says in three days, everyone in the world will see their dead bodies. How can that be? International satellite television in 
incredible. Now, now with the, with the update, the advent of fifth graders having, having 4G and 5G in their pocket, even the kids are going to be able to, to access instantaneously news that is, that is almost miraculous to the thoughts of the history of the rest of the world. Okay, let's pick it up back here in Revelation chapter 11. They die. Everyone can see them. We understand through technology how this can happen. Verse 10, And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them and make merry and shall send gifts one to another because these two prophets tormented them that dwell, dwelt on the earth. Do you know what this day is called? It's kind of like Christmas. They call it Happy Dead Witnesses Day. Happy Dead Witnesses Day. And they make merry and they gifts to, give gifts to one another because they are dead. But notice the next verse. And after three days and a half, the spirit of, of life from God entered into them and they stood upon their feet and great fear fell upon them which saw them. Again, wow. Wow, what's happening here. Uh, one more uh, in answer to the question, are things happening today part of Bible prophecy? And that would be the technology that we call the mark of the beast. And so Revelation chapter 13, turn over another page. Revelation 13, verse 16. And he causeth all, this is the leader of the European Union who also becomes leader of the world for a short time. He causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. Do you see how Satan wants to counterfeit the mark that God has given to the Jewish people? And no man might buy or sell save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that hath understanding count the number of the beast for it is the number of a man and his number is six hundred, three score and six. Six, six, six. So there has to be something that can be implanted that will allow people to, to, to make financial transactions. Uh, this is an RFID chip. It can be implanted and is currently implanted in people in America and in Europe. It's about the size of the grain of rice. Uh, how many have dogs? Raise your hand then you most likely have a dog with a chip. The mark of the beast is in your dog. <laughs> I should say the technology of the mark of the beast is in your dog. Some of you have it in your cats. Uh, Dr. Cindy Hartz, if you want to raise your hand. Uh, Dr. Hartz, this is what she does. As a vet, she puts the chip in. One time she gave me the actual syringe and I used it for an illustration. I didn't want to scare the children tonight, so I didn't bring it along. Uh, but it goes, and if your dog gets lost, you know, the vet can scan it and find out, you know, who uh, Rover belongs to and, and uh, uh, find that out. So it's really a, a helpful thing and has, you know, did they have their shots? Here's another possibility, the latest and greatest technology. It is called a digital tattoo. This is actually different than the RFID chip, and this is also being used as well. And you wonder why tattoos are so popular? It'll just, go, it'll just go right along with what's happening in the culture. A digital tattoo. Now, six is the number of a man, one short of seven. God's perfect number? 
Three sixes identify man's greatest achievement. Man rules the world without God in this period of time, and it's an absolute failure. The European leader, the Antichrist, he rules one nation, then he rules ten nations, then he rules the world, but it doesn't last very long because Satan's kingdom is divided, and they begin to fight each other, and you have war breaking out all over this globe, even with Satan in charge. He cannot keep the kingdoms of the world together, uh, not at all. Are events today part of the tribulation? The answer is no. We're not in the tribulation. We're in the church age. We're in the age of grace. We see events today that will be part of the tribulation. I read in one of the services today, Matthew 24, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. We had that three weeks ago. People having panic attacks over World War III that didn't happen, but it will happen in the tribulation time. Uh, pestilences, the coronavirus, clearly a pestilence. pestilence. What about the, the normal flu? Uh, 10,000 people have died already uh, uh, because of the normal flu. 200 have died from the coronavirus. We're not in the tribulation, but we are seeing we are seeing things that will be in the tribulation happening now. Uh, if you want to do an internet search, 50 Reasons for a Pre-Tribulational Rapture by Dr. John Walford, former president of Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, you'll see that the Bible teaches we are not in the tribulation. We won't go through the tribulation. We are saved from the wrath to come. We will be removed from the earth, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. We are saved from the wrath to come, Revelation 4, 1. Come up hither. The church is in heaven during the tribulation period. We're in heaven in chapter 4 and 5. And then chapter 6 to 19, the church is no longer existent upon the earth. What about the news of Iran? What about the news of Iran? The Antichrist will broker a deal with Israel and the Arabs. And so there's going to be constant antagonism against Israel, and it's going to continue until the tribulation. And that brings us to the next question. What about President Trump's deal of the century announced on Tuesday between Israel and between Palestine? You talk about current events. I mean, we're talking about uh, two days ago, a day ago, a week ago, three weeks ago. Our president has been a friend to the unborn, most pro-life president ever, friends of Christians. Our president is a friend of Israel. He moved the embassy in Israel to Jerusalem. It appears to be a deal that many on both sides can agree on. I have read just a summary of some of the details. Giving Palestinians a state, we should say somewhat of a state. Uh, even a tunnel will connect uh, their controlled area from the West Bank to Gaza. That's going to be some tunnel. Israel will control Jerusalem. Uh, Palestinians will get some of the outskirts on the east side. That's Bible prophecy that they will control Jerusalem. They will also take the Golan Heights up north, which they control now. But let me just say it this way. When you go to the Bible and you look at this deal and see what's going to happen, they won't, they won't have airspace. So it's not the deal that would allow them to rule themselves like a normal nation. Not, not at all. But here's the truth. Ultimately, the deal, the Antichrist brokers. Now let's turn back to that. Revelation chapter 6. 
The deal that the Antichrist brokers is what will bring awe and wonder to the world. This plan that the president has proposed may bring some temporary peace, but it is, it is doomed to fail because Arabs will not be happy with it. If they get the deal and it happens, they begin to rule themselves, then they're going to want more. They're going to want more. They're going to want Jerusalem. And it's going to, you're going to continue to have this backdrop and so the peace will fall apart and more violence will happen, whether it be a month, six months, a year, or two years. And then the rapture is going to happen. Then there's going to be a false peace. And so we see that Revelation chapter 6, the first seal is broken and open. Seven seals on a document, the title deed to the earth. Jesus Christ is the one who has the power to open the seals. And he is retaking the power uh, of, uh, of the earth and possession of the earth. First seal, verse 2. And I saw and behold a white horse. And he that sat on him had a bow. And a crown was given unto him. And he went forth conquering and to conquer. And so what happens is, again, he's imitating Christ. Jesus comes back on a white horse in Revelation chapter 19. The Antichrist, it's not President Trump, it's a European leader who's not married. If that helps you, I try and identify it. We don't know who it is. It's not the president. So he conquers with a bow and no arrows. False peace treaties. Do you know another little antichrist did that 75 years ago? Who was that? It was Hitler. Hitler made a bunch of peace treaties. They were false peace treaties. And he broke those, and then he started World War II. And so that's what's going to happen with the, with the Antichrist. So, so this is not going to bring peace to the Middle East because when the real Antichrist shows up, he's going, the world is going to say, wow. And Daniel gives us a description of him. Wow, this guy is amazing. He's like a Messiah. He's like a Messiah. And the world will be in awe and wonder. He takes Jerusalem. He sets up a statue that the Bible says will move and talk and speak. And he requires the people of the world to worship that statue in the Jewish temple. That's the abomination of desolation. And when you take the mark of the beast, you seal the deal. When you take the mark of the beast, that means you have set your soul to worship the Antichrist. Ladies and gentlemen, now is the time to receive Jesus Christ as Savior. When the rapture happens, and it could happen before the service is over, it could be happen before, before you could blink your eye. And that means you're in the tribulation period. You take the mark of the beast, you've sealed your soul to hell. If you refuse it, there's a great chance you'd be martyred for your faith. And some will survive. Be a horrible time. The Antichrist is possibly alive today, possibly a political ruler, but he is a false ruler. He will be inspired by not just a demon, but by Satan himself. Thank God we have the true Savior, Jesus Christ, and we're going to love him and serve him, and with urgency, 
with urgency, our focus is to bring people to Christ. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for people that are digging into the Word of God. They want to know what's happening in the world. They want to see it through the lens of Scripture. And I pray you'd help each one of us to seek you and follow you with all of our hearts. Help us to be soul conscious this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. May we stand.